Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 41 here on the Boilerball Podcast. And uh, today we're going to wrap up the 2017-18 season, uh, put a little bow on that, and then uh, we're going to welcome in a special guest a little bit later. But first of all, Larry, uh, the 2017-18 season concludes. Purdue finishes 30-7, and a program record 30 wins. Um, falling in the Sweet 16 to Texas Tech, 78 to 65. Um, your thoughts, kind of. Uh, obviously, we taped our last podcast before we went to Boston, um, concluded the season in Boston, and then uh, as the taping of this, the national champion has been crowned, the Villanova Wildcats, their uh, second national title in three years. Um, kind of your thoughts on the end of our run and uh, the remainder of the tournament. Well, first, before I do that, I, I have to give you some credit. About, um, I don't know when the new Big East was formed, four or five years ago maybe? Mm-hmm. But I know way before that. I'm talking three, four, five years before that was ever formed. You, Mr. Bloom, uh, was uh, preaching to me that a really good league would be a lot of those uh, Jesuit schools and possibly throw Butler in there and – in uh, my goodness, they did that, and uh, I, I have really been impressed by them. I mean, beyond belief, impressed because I didn't think I didn't think they could be a factor the way they are. Now, are they the old Big East? No, you know we're talking uh, in their heyday: Georgetown and Connecticut and St. John's. You know, right, when right. everybody was really at the pinnacle of their success. But man, this league is really good, really good. Well, it's funny when when we talked about that, we were on a road trip somewhere, and I think Monteith was with us. So it's been a while, and I threw it out there because the kind of the writing was on the wall that uh, it was pretty evident that the the Louisville's and the uh, Syracuse and Pitt, um, Boston College were rumored to all be kind of leaving, and maybe some of them had already started um, the defections. But um, and I thought, you know, hey, what, look at these schools that don't have football. And it included the, the the ones out east, the Providence and St. John's and those guys, Seton Hall. Um, and then I said, and then look at the uh, the football non-football schools, the remaining football schools, DePaul and uh, Butler, Xavier, um, Sarah, or I mean uh, Marquette. And then I, as we started talking that through, I thought, look at all the markets those schools are in. You know, yeah. Chicago, Milwaukee, Indianapolis, Cincinnati. I mean, those are big cities that you you know could generate some real pull in terms of uh, advertising dollars for a TV package. Then, of course, the East Coast cities. And then the one school that I missed the mark on, um, I did not have Creighton, who at the time was in the Missouri Valley. I had St. Louis um, as part of that deal. So. That was my one no, but miss. You were, but, uh, you were pretty close. Well, my next my next thought is that uh, we need to pare down D1 to roughly 200 schools or maybe in the high 180s, 170s, something like that. And then we need to uh, pair up the major conferences with a sister conference. So for argument's sake, the Big Ten gets paired up with the MAC, And then you treat it like European soccer where in the Big Ten, if you finish 13th or 14th, you fall down to the MAC for the next season. And if you finish in the top two of the MAC, you come up to the Big Ten for that season. That'd be pretty cool. Pretty cool, yeah. You talk about some schools fighting for their lives at the end of a season. You know, you have a normally, you have a meaningless game of the 12th and 14th place teams uh, at the end of a season in February. And now they're fighting for their lives so they don't get demoted to the MAC for the next year. So I don't think it'll ever happen because there's so much revenue to work out. 
uh, in terms of TV packages, and they wouldn't want to give up their Big Ten money. So I don't think anybody would agree to it, but it would sure be interesting for fans. And then, of course, it would be interesting the following year when, you know, Purdue goes to Buffalo for that Mac or that Big Ten showdown for yeah, a year. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so – Anyway, uh, so you asked the question about the end of the season, and we we hadn't talked about Boston yet. And, of course, you know, um, the big elephant in the room the whole time was the entry to Isaac and, and – you know, what we want to do being around the program, and I know Matt's always this way, you are too, you know, it's always the next man up. And, of course, there's there's no man to take his place. Right. And so you – but you, you you have to preach that and you have to live with it. And, of course, we were able to get by Butler, which I thought was a terrific victory to set us up against Texas Tech. But if if there was any team out there that we really needed, I think, <laughs> right. was, was Texas Tech. And, again, it's a – it's a matchup thing. It's, a lot of people know it's matchups and when you play them and what their seed is and all that. But that was really clearly one team that, and as it progressed, as the game progressed, you just you just saw it and you thought it and you thought in your mind. Now up until that point, you haven't said one time. Well, you know, got to have Isaac. We we weren't allowed to say it privately. Right. So so you you know you compart uh, compartmentalize it. You right. Know, right. And then. Uh, I wish I was smart enough to have that vocabulary, but anyway, the uh, but I but I thought of that, and and then when it was all over and it was done, you know, and I'm walking around, I said, "Boy, we sure could have used sure could have used the big guy this time, especially against that opponent because they could not have defended him. They yeah, could they not hadn't have done it. They really didn't have a center, um, and they really didn't, and they especially didn't have any depth around the front line, and their guards are so good." that they can play people straight up, and when they can play your center straight up, you don't get any advantage. Um, what we could have created out of that was now all of a sudden they would have had to double Isaac. And, and they would have. And, and they, they would have they because would have everybody in, in their guys, league yeah, and everybody right. that we talked to about them, it's funny because for, for the fans listening, um, when you go in the tournament, so immediately when we beat Butler, um, we're busing back from Detroit, and the all four coaches – Coach Painter included, are on their telephones with coaches they know in the business who have played Texas Tech. And they're asking, you know, now how do they do this? How do they do that? And you're you're starting to get ideas on, on your opponent. And uh, I know Coach Painter was talking to Coach Weber, and he's like, they're really good. Their guards are really good. You know, it would really be nice if he had the big guy. And <laughs> and everybody, everybody that talked to our staff said, you know what would really be nice? If Haas was playing, and it just sticks at you because you're like, well, thanks, you know, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, but yeah, but and, that and that again, matchup in again, particular, I'm not, I'm not taking anything from Texas Tech, and right? We don't know what the outcome would have been. I'm just exactly. saying, I would have loved to have seen it. Exactly, you would have seen just what we normally would have done, and I and I that's exactly right. You and, I, and I think we would have had a really good chance to win yeah. the game. Now, if we were to project against Villanova, yes, we he'd been a good guy to go against Villanova as well. Right. Uh, but boy, they they really they they played. They were a special. Tournament. They were they were at, at a special tournament. Um, you know, and a, a couple people I talked to were like, "Well, it didn't matter. You're going to play Villanova anyway." Well, we all would have loved the chance <laughs> yeah. to play Villanova. Well, and, we wanted know, to play him in Atlanta. So yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you just want to see where you stack up. But Villanova, with a special run, um, defeats Michigan in the championship game. We were talking just before we started taping here. How about Michigan? The first top four seeded team they play top five seed team they play is in the national title game against Villanova. 
Um, and I had some fans. I'll tell you, I had more emails from fans basically congratulating the four seniors on a great career. This is following our Texas Tech game. And also just passing along like condolences that they're, you know, they're sorry we didn't, weren't going in there with full strength. Um, and then some, some of them mentioning the fact that, you know, I'm looking at my bracket and I'm looking at the left side of it basically. And I'm looking at the decimated regions that eventually produced Loyola and Michigan to the final four. And then I'm looking at our bracket going, where's the oh, justice? Just, yeah, Cause Cause it all point. went the chalk bait pretty yeah, much. Sure and, uh, and so anyway, that's that's. But we've talked about that before. That's that is the NCAA tournament. I saw a uh, interesting tweet from Bob Wishus and the ESPN announcer, and he said, "You won't find a bigger fan of the NCAA tournament than me." But everybody does realize this is a pretty silly way to crown a true champion in terms of who the most talented team is, and he's got some validity to that. Now nobody, uh, everybody loves the tournament. If you're in college basketball, you. I've heard very few people complain about the tournament. Um, it, there is no better sporting event in my mind. It captivates everybody for a solid month, and to be part of it is is really really cool. But to his point, um, you know, it's not like a World Series game where you have to be a good team for seven game or best out of seven games. Uh, you just need to have that magical run and beat one team in one but game and you, move on. Yeah, but if you look at it, I mean, you look at the history of it. It's still it's still pretty much. You know, when it's all said and done, the guy that's still standing a lot of times is someone Absolutely. you've heard about a lot. Absolutely. And, and usually there's two number ones or two number twos in the final four. I mean, you, you you have that one team like Loyola that, you know, did some special things. But that, I mean, that's still rare. BCU did it just a few years ago, if you remember. Well, but in the last probably dozen years, we've had a lot of instances Butler with the BCU, twice. Butler, um, George Mason. Right. Now Loyola, you know, so you've had some Loyola, rather, you've had some, uh, some, some, you know, significant breakthroughs there, and uh, it kind of goes against your and I's argument of trying to pare down D one. <laughs> some of these, some of these schools would argue that that they wouldn't have a chance. Uh, well, it uh, does. It does. The one thing it does, if you watch these games, it does tell you, and and we see it during the season too, though, in non conference. You really, uh, for example. And when we played Western Kentucky, they had a couple of kids there that I would have said, mm, I don't even know if they can play Division One basketball, <laughs> and then they go out there and, and, and really balled it up, you know. Right, right. And, and, and when you look at a lot of these teams, I mean, every one of those guys has some pretty good players that aren't highly ranked players. It's, it's just a fact. But this whole, the, the whole thing is fostered, this tournament has fostered this, um, this belief that teams that don't play in these power conferences can compete but they you know there was there was years that went by that they didn't believe that now that's not the case anymore they believe it they see too many examples of it and if you can put five guys together seven guys together and have good chemistry and all this stuff they can beat a lot of teams now to win six and you know three weeks is it's usually pretty good proof that you're a pretty good team if you can do that and and Villanova was the class of this year's tournament. They were never threatened, really. And the teams we referenced that that broke through and got to the Final Four, um, at the time, Butler was in a different conference. Obviously, they've changed things and are in the Big East now. But, you know, George Mason's in the A-10, and, and Loyola's in the Missouri Valley. Those are considered mid-major conferences. Yeah, those aren't considered. Yeah, they're good conferences. Yeah, those aren't considered some of those conferences that end up playing like, you know, 
15 road games in the non-conference yeah. just to get to their conference schedule. I mean, these are uh, mid-major type conferences that have broken through and got to the Final Four. Now the, the team that kind of throws everything out of whack is UMBC beating Virginia. Oh, that, now that was – and, and that, that certainly, was yeah, that was uh, that yeah. was certainly uh, some a big argument for the the real little, that's the true a, little guys. That's really a commuter school beating, <clears throat> you know, a power five. A, the a the that, overall number one, <laughs> overall number one, and all season long did everything that nobody else did, right? Including Villanova, and win, I, wins wins arguably the cu- toughest conference by four games outright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, amazing. That was. Amazing. But it's one of the reasons that I think in college basketball, when you're a fan. Um, what makes college basketball so popular and and you know you go into every season with that belief that you know no matter what happens um, just get in the tournament and then try to make the bracket break your way get a matchup you like and next thing you know you're pulling a little and you're in the final four so but uh, our congrats to uh, to Villanova a program that we have gotten to know just from playing them coming off the heels of their first championship three years ago playing them last season and uh very rarely has a team that we've played blown me away the way Villanova did. Not necessarily by their play on the floor, but the way they handled themselves. Oh, they're really, um, they're really something. Jay does yeah. a great job with them, and the, the probably the best game they had in the tournament was West Virginia, and uh, I got to see that uh, floor level, and that that was really that was really a good game. It was a bloodbath. They were yeah. chippy the whole time, and uh, Bobby was there. Huggins was. <laughs> He was just amazing. I mean, he was just amazing to watch. And uh, but boy, it was they got they got Villanova mad, and Villanova responded. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's uh, all around. He um, hard to think of a program at this point that's functioning at a higher level across the board. So uh, I agree. kind of wraps up. But again, uh, our our season nothing to hang your head about. Thirty and seven overall program record, uh, thirty wins, and uh, a lot of bright spots. Uh, to look forward to for next year. A lot of stuff that we will get to throughout the offseason and the summer. Um, and a reminder to our listeners, uh, boilerballpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. Send uh, your show ideas and any of your thoughts on uh, the podcast our way. Final note on that uh, on that season, though. I've heard uh, quite a bit of talk about, and I, and I guess it's people who really don't pay attention, which, you know, I think fans, I think there are all kinds of different fans. In fact, someday, Andrew, you let you, you let the old clues tell you my four categories of fans. <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, well, Purdue has nothing coming back next year, so it, it's so far from being the truth. And uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to next year because we really have some good pieces coming back, including the uh, the most recent addition of uh, uh, Boudreaux to our team, who's uh, an accomplished player and at a position of need. And uh, but we have some we have some really good players coming back and a bunch of good ones coming into the program. Well, and the, and the fact that we got a couple guys off of red shirts that didn't play this year that we'll see, but also the fact that we're going to be in a totally different role next year. We'll be kind of the underdog, and you know we rolled into gyms this year as uh, Big Ten champs and handled ourselves very well. Obviously, uh, coming within a game of winning. I had a better again. record than we did the year before. Right, and. Uh, so, but now a different role, and I think uh, I think our guys are mature. Well, we thought that, we'll but a, we thought that, but then we got a poll come out this week that had us twenty fifth. So, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Someone, <laughs> someone blew his cover. I wasn't expecting <laughs> us to get any respect, Larry. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of upcoming shows and guests um, and feedback from the email address, 
one of the uh, most popular emails I would get over the last couple months was is in regards to our analytics position here, and Andrew McClatchy, um, who is our analytics, I guess, analytics director. What's your title, Andrew? Basketball analyst. I Basketball believe. analyst. So. Andrew handles all, handles all of our analytics. It's a new position to the program, so Andrew is actually coming, uh, finishing up the first season with this program. And uh, Andrew, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to join us. Um, I wanted to, uh, like most people that um, have emailed me about getting you on um, the show, are very interested in kind of what you do and the nuances. Now, some of this stuff is way above. Larry and I's comprehension level in terms of the number crunching, but I do think that uh, our fans would be interested in kind of your day-to-day stuff, um, and we'll get into that certainly, but um, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, you were brought on in the fall, um, and we'll get into kind of, I can kind of talk about why this position was created a little bit, but talk about your background um, before you came to Purdue. Okay. Um, so I was originally born and raised in New Palestine. Um, went to IEPY for engineering, mechanical engineering. Um, decided to do their five-year programs of bachelor's, master's combined. So I was there for six years, actually, because I did some uh, engineering work while in school. So while I was doing that work, I kind of decided the engineering wasn't really for me. It was kind of slow and boring, so I kind of wanted to make oh, Wait a second. Six <laughs> years, and then you finally decided it wasn't <laughs> yeah. for you. Oh, Holy mackerel. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, I so by the time I figured out that I wanted to do something different, I was kind of on the back end. So I said, uh, I'll finish it, and if that'd be a good plan B, whatever, I decided to do plan A. So um, during that time, actually, when I was kind of concerned with what I was going to do, that was when Butler made the runs. And okay. Brad used analytics, obviously. He had a good, uh, good guy, Drew Cannon, who's at Boston with him now. Um, so that's when I first kind of like looking into that because I grew up in you know, Indiana. I grew up a basketball fan. You know that. Um, you kind of just stick around the game if, as long as you can. I played in high school, didn't play in college, but I helped out IPY a couple of years. Um, so you kind of you just kind of get one back into it, and I felt that was a good way to do it because I had my engineering background. I do a lot of math. Uh, I had the econ minor, math minor, all this different these uh, experiences with math. So I figured that might be a good thing to try out. And um, five years later, is my fifth. I just finished my fifth season doing it. Um, turned out to be a good decision. So let me ask you this: Drew Cannon is he considered the Red Arbach of of anal- analysts? <laughs> uh, maybe for me, but the real guy is Dean Oliver, and he kind of his basketball and paper book is the first book I kind of read to kind of get exactly like understand what exactly what was going on. So um, I consider him basically the guy that kind of put basketball analytics out there. For and where's he else. at now? Um, he bounced around. I think a few teams. I think he is like I think he works for ESPN now, doing their analytics department. Okay, okay, that's interesting. So he's so. Is this where like one of the one of the stats that you do is offensive efficiency rating, offensive defici- efficiency rating, defensive efficiency rating? So who who did he coin those metrics? Uh, I believe it was him. Yeah, I think there's a couple other guys like John Hollinger or Hollinger. Uh, I have a cute mother. I don't remember the top of my head, but I think his basketball and paper, and he actually goes through the individual offensive ratings that you guys see. Um, I think the team efficiency rating was actually kind of something um, that was before that, but no one had taken it to the individual level, and he did that, and that kind of opened the door for all kinds of different things. Wow. Okay. So anyway, you get through your, um, you get your degree, and what's your, what's your roadmap um, out of out of school? 
It's out of school. Um, Decide just to go into the real world? <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, I did, actually. Um, so you do uh, – I was a graduate manager for IUPUI my last uh, master's year. Okay. Um, and once you, you know, once you figure out that you want to move on to the basketball or these to start feeling, or sending out feelers and different emails and stuff right. trying to get the job and basically just blowing everybody's email inbox up. So, um, But I didn't get much success for that just because I needed something paying, obviously, because I had student loans and all that kind of stuff. So took a job on the north side of the place called ACES uh, Energy. Um, we kind of talked about it in my interview. Yeah. I basically, um, I worked there, I think, about a year almost. Um, Basically, what I was doing was I was controlling, not controlling, but I was basically managing different cities' uh, energy portfolios. So the side of the desk I was on, I was working for um, the Glendale, California, the city of Glendale, and the city of Pasadena, California. And basically, what you do is you just kind of manage their energy profile. You buy energy if they need energy. You sell energy if they have too much energy. Just kind of that stuff. And when you get into the the, the hot days in the summer, things can get pretty wild because you have forest fires and all that stuff and that affects all the transmission lines and all that so it can get pretty hairy sometimes it was a stressful job at times so if we have uh, any listeners in pasadena who (laughs) had had no air conditioning a couple summers ago you can write andrew so it's like air traffic control it sounds (laughs) right it was was intense at times so at the time you were doing this you were also working with iupui Mm -hmm. right yeah and that was it was that a voluntary yes it was so andrew was and i know this part from when we interviewed him he was um, volunteering his services and providing some analytic work for IUPUI and their men's basketball team. Um, your name came up in the process. So the backstory from our program was we were kind of talking about ways to advance the program, and, and, and it's something that we're actually doing this time of year in the spring and early summers. You take stock of where you're at and what program improvements you want to make. And one of the things that Coach Painter had been talking about was do we want to try to get into this analytics side of stuff? And he'd always been very interested, but it's such a new field that there's and, and we'll we'll get into this. It's it's so new that you you really don't know what you what you want. Like you say, I want an analytics person. Okay, what do they? What do you want them to research? And then there's like a pause. Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where we were, but we knew we were interested enough. And and Coach Painter's close relationship with Coach Stevens with at at the Celtics. Um, we felt pretty good that it could make a difference in what we were doing. So we created the position and then started making some phone calls of who we'd be interested in, in, in applying for it. And, and and actually, your name came up because one of our former basketball players, Roy Harrison's an assistant coach down at IUPUI, and he kind of made mention that you know you provided them with some stuff, and it was really good. And he used it a lot in his scouting reports, and he thought you did a really good job. So... Long story short, Andrew gets an interview and ends up getting the job. So, you here's come. A, here's another long story short too: is that there's one thing you realize in life that uh, when it comes down to finding a job, you always have to know somebody. No question. That's everybody specific. says. Especially everybody says, "No, I did it all myself." No. I, and I say, "No, you did not," <laughs> because that's exactly the truth. Boy, if you know somebody, and man, can it open some doors? And they, and I'm glad that Roy did that. Yeah, it was, and it was. Uh, so it, as we were talking to guys in the interview process, it was really kind of exciting to hear some ideas. And and Andrew, we liked the fact that he had actual experience doing it for a Division One team. So he had actual data points he could show us from his experience with the Jaguars at IUPUI. And so, so let me ask, so let me ask though. Um, so is the first part of analytics was it the Moneyball stuff? Was that really when this stuff? 
kind of yeah. It's they've got all the publicity, I guess. right? So like the way I look at it is that the baseball and the basketball are like almost separate entities, just because baseball you have basically hundred, not a hundred, but a lot of like thousands of thousands of like individual instances. So you have three two count this right handed guy versus this left handed guy. Right. What are the chances that he gets it? Basketball is hard because it's like a free flowing kind of deal. So. Baseball is always kind of the forefront of that. Um, basketball kind of picked it up, like when Dean Oliver figured out how he could do uh, these different things, small these different box scores, which is basically what all of this is based off is just the box score from a game. Well, I'm a Browns fan, and they went to analytics two years ago. They've <laughs> won one game in two years. And Sasha Brown was the guy who was the scapegoat, so they ended up firing him and then hired a bunch of NFL big-timers to come in and give them – Five picks in the first two rounds, including number one and four and a hundred million dollars in cap room. And these guys are like, and they're like saying, well, that guy made us one and 35 or whatever it was. <laughs> he did a pretty good job, I think, because they asked him to tear down the team. So he got the youngest team in the NFL with the most, uh, with the most assets. Now, yeah. now only the good football guys can mess it up from here, right? <laughs> now it's in the hand. Now it's in the hands of the football gods. Yeah, and, but and, I, but I, but I just, you know, I never watched Moneyball until the other day. It's funny that we have Andrew on now because mm-hmm. I, I saw it just the other day, first time, because my son kept saying, "Man, you got to see that show. It's really good." And I watched it, and and the thing that came to mind immediately was when Brad Pitt in there, when Billy Bean went in there, and it started talking to all the scouts, and every one of those guys were like, you know, my age. And every one of them were living in the past. I mean, this isn't gonna work, Billy. This isn't gonna work. Well, the thing, the thing that I think put it over the top for us in terms of that, this is something we wanted to do. Was and and you guys can both attest to this. Coach Painter is big on. He wants a lot of ideas thrown at the on the table, but if you're going to bring an idea in our staff meeting, or you're going to basically comment on something you better back it up with some some facts so if you say you know we just need to have more plays where Carson goes to the rim he's gonna look at you and go why does he what's he shooting when he goes to the rim and if you don't have an answer then your idea is quickly dismissed <laughs> um you know he wants he wants facts he's this it's just the way he's he's built so um I think a lot of what what we felt good about the stuff Andrew would be doing was this would start quantifying some of our hunches or theories or things like that. So um, you mentioned that this stuff is all based on box score and um, like play-by-play entry. Mm -hmm. So you've kind of developed your own system of basically taking a box score and entering it Mm -hmm. and then it spits out the data. So without... um, Without blowing over the heads of all of our of us and our listeners, so what's kind yeah, of the, our what, listeners are a lot better than that? Well, yeah, we're at the bottom. <laughs> if we understand it, then there's a pretty good certainty that everybody listening will understand it. But go, but run us through um, kind of the nitty gritty on, you know, you t- you take some box scores, put them in, and and how does that process work? How how does it sort that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So basically, I have two. So like after we play a game, I'll do like a post game report. I have two different like setups so they have two programs basically one takes the play-by-play from the web and just chops it up into like different box scores for each lineup for each uh, like guard combo whatever it might be and i get that stuff that raw box score and then i'll take that and put it into the other program and it spits out it basically runs it through all these foreign lists and stuff and you get your efficiencies you get your rebound rates whatever it might be um so that, that's probably this <laughs> leave it yeah so so you when you talk about the efficiencies um 
your offensive efficiency, your defensive efficiency, um, similar to a quarterback efficiency in the NFL. Uh, yes. Yeah, which I think if people are familiar with that, you know it's an odd number, and it's based on a lot of different statistics. You know, if you throw an interception or not, your completion percentage, your yards per catch, your that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, what is a good number for an offensive uh, efficiency number? So for a team, uh, I think the D1 average is around 105, which is basically an offense rating is just points per possession times 100. Okay. So it would be 1.05 points per possession. Um, individual, it can vary. It's like someone who's obviously got the ability to score like Carson, anything lower than like 110 can kind of just be average or so-so for him. Um, anything above 125, 130 would be pretty good. Um, for other guys, maybe 100 is pretty good just because they're not that, like Matt Harms, maybe 105 would be probably a decent number for him. But it also, does it take, it takes into account, does it take into account the rebounds, assists, that kind of thing? Yeah, so basically it looks at how many points you produced and and how many possessions you used. Um, a possession used is basically anytime you take a shot, make or miss, um, you have an assist, um, offense rebounds, and uh, turnovers. So you Free could so you could come in and score four six points, but you have a couple assists, no turnovers, rebound the ball well, a steal or two, and you're going to generate a high number. Mm-hmm. Especially if you have no turnovers, the turnovers are really what kind of drive it down. And then defensively, um, what's the what what are the what, what are we looking at in terms of the average number defensively? Uh, for an individual, so individual defensive ratings are kind of that's kind of a different territory because that's. Since it's big, uh, box score ba- box score based, you don't have as many defensive uh, defensive stats. So you have your right. steals, your box, and your defensive rebounds, and that's really it. So I have all that number. I usually don't give them just because it leaves it open to a lot of questions. Right. That's something I don't know the answer to. But your rating is based more on what your opponent does. Yeah. Your defensive rating. Right. Yeah. So like, if your team does very well defensively, you're probably gonna have a, def- a good defensive rating. You even feel like it like a couple steals or something. That's gotcha. why it's kind of misleading at times. Yeah. So what what do you what you look at? You look at team offensive ratings, individual offensive ratings, mm-hmm. and then team defensive ratings. Yeah. So we don't really get into the team individual ratings right. because, as Andrew just alluded to, they're kind of misleading. Uh, but we do pay attention to how well we guard as a team overall and the efficiency ratings. So um, as we kind of got into this this year, um, I know Coach kind of put Andrew to work in the summer looking back at last year's team. And then he had the opportunity to have some data given to him from the World University Games experience and allowed him to kind of, which was great for us because it allowed us to kind of get to know you and your methods and your reports and things like that. And I got to tell you, the first couple times you read one of these reports, it it, it takes you a little bit and you got to kind of, you know, refocus and (laughs) and figure out what you're reading here. Um, It's like trying to put together one of my kids' Uh, Christmas presents and now you get open the instruction manual like where do I even start with this thing <laughs> but I will say this that now that you are and Andrew does a great job of kind of giving us the the nitty-gritty right up front because he, he understands his audience pretty well so he does a good job of saying hey you're gonna look at all this below but here are kind of the highlights mm-hmm. and uh, and and he and you did that for our World University Games experience and kind of started the coaches thinking along the lines of here's some things to take away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that actually led into practice as well. I don't think you guys did some practice stuff in the past, but I think this year I was able to track certain things. Maybe you guys hadn't seen before as well. It kind of drew from that World, World University game. 
and we kind of in the past the only thing we really had tracked was we have competitive drills in our practices so especially in the preseason and in uh, october november uh, december you're doing a lot of a lot more practicing first of all but also you're doing um, a lot more competitive drills within practice and we used to chart who would win those competitive drills so at the end of a month you may say you know pj had the highest winning percentage in terms of just competition but some of that's based on who your opponent or who your teammates are because we changed up you know mm-hmm. the teams every day um, and so that was where you came in because you could break that stuff down talk about how you dive into the different lineups and things like that for like a game or for practice or you, whatever it might both be. yeah both um so lineups basically it's it's kind of hard to get into right away because you need to get enough data just to even like have reasonable numbers um so i start usually around like I say, it comes from all those box scores that I have the program for. And once I get around 10, 15 games, I'll start giving out different lineups, uh, combos, guard combos, big combos, that kind of things. So I think this year we looked at it a little bit as um, how Vince played with Isaac on the floor, but how Vince played with Matt on the floor. Um, so I can look at those kind of different things. I can see how one player, Al Carson, plays with Dakota and Vince at the five or whatever it might be. I don't know if that happened or not, but just basically you can see how different combinations affect certain uh players so like yeah especially like if you have isaac who's more back to the back you don't really stray out to the uh the arc very much you might open things up more if we put madden for carson and something like that so let me ask you this when you look at this data do you ever uh i know you present it all to coach but do you ever find yourself biting your tongue like <laughs> we need to do this <laughs> not so much <laughs> this happened in the yeah it's happened in the past a few times but not Really not so much for this, just be, this uh, this year because I mean we had such strong guards, not guards, but players in our top five, six. So I wasn't real sure what would have mattered if I said it or not. So, but I think maybe next year when we have more variability with our guys, we have a lot of guys who maybe play different minutes. It might be more uh, helpful for the for the guys. Yeah, so, I, I would say that this year's team would be would be an anomaly because you have. Uh, you have four seniors, starters. I mean, that's so rare. Plus, you didn't have an injury until kiss of death at the end of the year. But right. we didn't have any injuries, and, and except and then Vince had the ankle injury late in the season. But up until that point, it was the same four were going to be in there, the same starting lineup, five right. when you put Carson in there every time. So that, that would be a little bit different than when you were kind of juxtaposing like, you know, seven or eight guys all mm-hmm. the time. Right. You, you're not, you usually don't have that rotation to find as much as ours was. Well, in the year before, I can remember we made a change. Carson would start a lot of the year, and then we made a change, you know, in the kind of towards the beginning of Big Ten play where we made that switch, and he came off the bench. And What I'm interested in, though, from Andrew's point of view, you can tell, you, you have that data available where, for example, a, a player takes a shot in a certain location on the floor, correct? Mm-hmm. And, and you can tell what his shooting percentage is, right? Right. So let's say X player, and I'm not going to mention names, but X player shoots 17% with this one shot. And any other time in other locations on the floor, he might be shooting 40, 45, maybe 60% somewhere. It would seem to me, I'm just guessing here, it would seem to me it'd be real easy to point that out to someone and say, don't shoot that shot. And yet they still go back and think they can make that shot. And, and to my way of thinking, I, I can't figure it out. Now, 
I'm a stubborn person, and I'm sure when I was their age, I would have done the same darn thing. But I, I just thinking maybe at my age now, that would seem to be a smart thing to do. Don't take that shot, but right. we do, don't we? Well, yeah, don't eat that cheeseburger. You're on a diet. <laughs> um, um, um. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, that's human nature. That you, I guess, yeah, you're right. And but that's um, that goes back to you know even before you had a number to justify it. You know, back to the stories we have of Coach Katie giving guys, you know, red light, yellow light, green light. Yeah. You know, if you had the this. green light, you could shoot the ball anywhere you wanted at any time. If you had a yellow light, you better be sure you're open and you better be squared up and on balance. And if you had a red light, you were only to shoot layups. And, that, <laughs> and <laughs> but this were, guy has in it. This guy has it pinpointed. Right. I mean, absolutely. He, he has a fact fact is you don't make that shot why do you take that shot and they'll look at you like what and then coach will get into well you don't want to kill a kid's confidence you want them to play confidently (laughs) but yet you don't yeah no there's a balancing act there absolutely that's a lot of times when and coach will say it in practice uh, like you you shoot that a kid will take a shot in practice and he'll say now you know if you shoot that on saturday you know what you're going to hear next (laughs) Er, here comes your sub coming in to get you out of the game so uh yeah, that's part of defining those guys' roles, and, that, and a lot and of people part. don't. A lot of fans don't understand that sometimes. Though. They don't. They don't understand that dynamic, and that dynamic is, uh, which was more pronounced, by the way, in the army than it is in, in coaching. <laughs> but still, there is uh, this this thought that there's a democracy in coaching <laughs> right. is, is so not true. And secondly, when I tell you maybe not to take that shot. You know, that probably means that you shouldn't. And, and then the people say, oh, man, I mean, man, the coach has a quick trigger there. But how about how about how many times has this happened where a, a big guy or a guy who normally doesn't shoot will catch the ball on the three-point line wide open for a reason, mind you, and the whole crowd goes, oh, shoot it, shoot it. And you hear like a collective, go ahead, buddy, take that shot. <laughs> hey, I have, to, I have to admit that I, I Isaac finished his career this year, uh, and I don't recall any other time. He never did attempt a three-pointer. So career, did he? Not to my knowledge. Not to, I don't think so. And I know he didn't this year. And and my thought on that is this, is that now, if that would have been me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be hard I, not to. I would have to launch one. <laughs> you know, You're letting him fly, huh? Yeah, one of, one of them would have, and I think, you know, I think he was in a position he could have made one, too, to be honest with you, but no, no career three-point attempts, right? Not a God. single one. Not a single now, one. Now, you know darn well, A.J. A.J. would have thrown one up there, wouldn't he? Oh, he did. And oh, then he, he would look over to the bench, too, and he missed it because Coach would say, look, if you're in rhythm, you're wide open, you're set. Basically, what he was trying to say is, look, I'm not totally opposed to you doing that, but I really like you around five feet from the basket. So A.J., about every third game, would, would hoist a three-pointer up, and then it, as he's as he's backing up down the floor, we kind of look over the side of his eyes over towards the bench and <laughs> exactly. give a little smile. That's exactly like, what I was saying. That's exactly <laughs> what I was saying. You can't. But but people don't understand. Why is he taking him out? He, he doesn't have any patience with that kid. Well, it, just go to your parenting skills. If you said no, that meant no. But you also, know, most, come say, most times a kid gets taken out of the game, for us anyway, it's because of a defensive breakdown. Or they're, or they're tired. Or they're tired. But it more, more often than not, it's a defensive breakdown. That If you're not clued into what we're trying to do defensively, you have no idea. And so, like, I, have, I can't tell you how many times that 
um, you know, I'll talk to my dad the day after a game, and he'll say, oh, I thought so-and-so was good, and I'll think, no, he wasn't. He was terrible. And then he's like, what do you mean? He made a couple shots. I'm like, well, yeah, I got you, but he also allowed 10 points, and here's why. You know, he did this, 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 and he should have been doing this, 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 this. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, I didn't, you know, that's the part of the side of the ball that fans necessarily don't watch as much. So. Well, they don't watch Right. I mean, I don't. I'm calling a game. I'm where the ball is. So you don't right, see right, you don't right. see a lot of that stuff. And I'm always asking Rob, I said, where, who who missed that play? You know, you got right. a back cut or something, and, or someone popped a screen and someone missed it, and you're going, oh, my goodness, how did he get so open? Boom, there's a layup, and you're – Well, and then, like, there'll be a play where maybe somebody does a backdoor alley-oop, and, and we've, we jump up off the bench and we take a guy out, not that necessarily – uh, was guarding that guy, but the other guy who should have bumped the cutter to allow that guy's time to recover, and that's you know that's how we teach it. And then that's what the game was the what, what game was it that we had when the guy threw up the threw up such a terrible alley oop that the ball went in? It wasn't the guy. Uh, uh, it wasn't even the. Uh, it wasn't even the guy wasn't even near it. Is it Texas Tech? Yeah, it might have been Texas Tech down to our right. I was thinking. Yeah, it'd been to your left. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was it. And he threw up this horrible looking thing, and I, I think it, I think it went in, and whoever got closest to the ball got credit for the hoop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, so uh, back to the defensive thing for a minute, because I know that even though the fan watching casual fan does isn't clued in on that end of the floor not necessarily clued in but just doesn't pay as much attention that is the area of attention that get or that area that gets the most attention from our assistants Mm -hmm. and when they are game planning and putting together scouting reports that is um, a big area of concern for them how are we going to stop these guys so talk a little bit about the prep work that goes in so let's say on saturday we're going to play penn state Mm -hmm. um what is your preparation like in terms of giving data and info to the assistants who have the scout and then to Coach Painter on our upcoming opponent? Right. So if we have a game Saturday and we have a game Wednesday, I will have so I'll basically work Monday through Wednesday to get our Saturday opponent done, and I'll have that ready for them after the game. Basically, what it is, it's kind of the same stuff I do for uh, our team. It's like their lineups, their guard combos, all that kind of stuff. Um, really, what we really dive into I think more so than that kind of stuff it's just like who play has been playing well especially individually um and as a team um so like the Ken Palm website that everybody knows about everybody talks about that's a great website but it only gives you full season data what I'm able to do is give you the last 10 games or whatever it might be so you can kind of see how that person's uh training lately how they're playing lately um so basically I'll have all that ready for them on Wednesday night after our game um, I'll highlight how the other team scores, like how they get their points. Like somebody who shoots at three for percent of the time, I mean, they'll probably get a pretty big chunk of their points from three. So how do we think about? I get the information to the coaches and let, kind of lets them think about like, well, how can we not let them shoot threes if that's what they're more dependent on? Whatever. Uh, I think Texas Tech they scored a huge chunk of their points from the free throw line all year. Um, so how do we get our guys in position where we're not tempted to foul, we're not foul uh, prone, that kind of deal? So. Uh, basically just breaks that down all for them um, and then what I'll do is I'll go through and I'll have a bunch of tables and stuff and I'll go through and I'll basically verbalize everything like I said one of the things I will never do really is because it confuses everybody is uh, just give somebody a table or uh, a chart or something and don't explain it verbally so kind of helps the coaches ease into my thought process with how I do the scouting reports and that kind of stuff 
then it's up to the each assistant then to kind of take all that data that Andrew supplies and then put it into the reports, um, use what they feel like is important. Um, what are maybe one or the two, one or two things that um, the assistants came to you this year and asked you to uh, maybe look up that was maybe outside the box or maybe mm-hmm. questions they had based uh, on a maybe a team's particular personnel or things like that? Um, so a couple of things, uh, things I haven't really done in the past. Um, Coach Brantley asked me for player tendencies. So I can basically can tell you, well, this player is most used type possession type is spot up. When he shoots it, he hits this percentage. When he drives, he'll go left this percentage. When he'll go right this percentage. And which one uh, he prefers to go to, which one he's better at. Uh, so I do the player tendencies, that kind of stuff. Uh, like post players, right shoulder, left shoulder, what block they like to go to the most. Um, so do that, and then also do kind of like player ISOs. Uh, we look at how often the player will go ISO uh, when he does this, uh, how often he'll pass it, that kind of stuff. So we can kind of use that information to maybe get a steal or two. Right. So. Yeah, there's certain guys who you'd be amazed. I'm not going to get into specifics here, but there's certain players that we found that when they put the ball on the floor, um, how do we say it kindly, they never pass. <laughs> like it's going to the basket every time. So when Andrew would come forth with that data and say, look, this guy, every hundred times he puts the ball on the ball on the floor to go to the basket, he's, he passes four times out of a hundred. Um, that would kind of cue Coach Painter to say, when this guy puts the ball on the floor, we are in full attack mode. That means leave everybody your garden and go take his ball or go trap him or whatever it might be. And I got to admit, that made a big difference in some games this year. When that kind of data, um, when you start f- seeing things like that, uh, it really changes your defensive game plan. And what happens so when, some things. What happens when you have the definitive data, though, and then it goes haywire on you? Because it because it does. I mean, it just Absolutely. does. And we had uh, we had instances after instances this year where three point shooters were making three point goals that never so, make it. Never make it. I mean, I mean that well, one that one group that one double group that was either Ohio. It was at Ohio State. They came in Jallo. What was that? Jallo. Yeah. Those guys came in and they were four of twenty. They were four of twenty one combined. And that day they were six of nine. Yeah. So. I think when, as we go through scouting reports, and Andrew could talk about this too, you look at the shooting data, and there's always certain guys that, there's guys that we call, we call them bluff and stay guys, but they're basically shooters. I mean, anybody who's played basketball, you know, you, you, there was that guy that came in, checked in the game, your coach was like, shooter, here's a shooter. If you're playing a zone, you know, when the guy's running around, everybody's pointing in, there's a shooter, you know. <laughs> it's no different. I mean, everybody does that and, and tags a guy whether or not he can shoot or not, which just basically means do not let him get an open three. Other guys, hey, you can be a little slow closing out to him because the chances are he's not going to shoot a three. And, and if he does, it's not a bad thing because he's probably shooting in the 20s. Um, we have had over the years – uh, we have. It seems like we have a few guys every season that torture us. Torture us yeah. based on the numbers. There was one year Pete Nankville that played at uh, Wisconsin. I'm not joking. He was 0 of 2 coming into the game from three, and in our game here, at Purdue he went 4 of 6 from three. And our whole game plan was Juwan was going to back off, play in the lane, clog the lane up, and we were going to let him have the ball at the top of the key in the swing offense and do whatever he wanted to do because he's and he shoots 4 of 6. And he makes the first one, and Coach Painter, he, he, he would look back at the bench, and he said, that's all right, that's good, we got more misses coming. <laughs> and then he hits another one, and then he hits another one. Well, the one of all time was, the, was Billy Oliver at Penn State. Oh, my goodness. He came into like, oh, for nothing for his career, 
He walked out of the game with 21 points. He averaged two. Yeah, there's. And I mean, he had, and he had that game, you know, where he can tell his grandkids someday, hey, you know, I let up Purdue with 21 points, and he did. Yeah, <laughs> but there's, I mean, there's always, I guess, outliers, right? And oh yeah, I mean, you're be... playing a percentage. No <laughs> yeah, one, exactly. hardly very few people are at zero percent. Well, so. <laughs> you go back to the Michigan Purdue game played at Mackey. I mean, that that thing oh, blew everything out yeah. of out of the socket. Yeah, that was an outlier in every sense of the word. And an incredible game, an incredible It's funny watching uh, Michigan's run. My wife and I were watching one of the games. It might have been the Loyola game. and um, Michigan missed like four or five threes in a row. And and they were guys that Monica goes, you know, those guys made all those shots in both games, in all three games against you guys this year, but especially the two regular season games. I mean, we went up to Ann Arbor, and we were going to let Xavier Simpson – basically shoot threes now we were going to contest them a little bit but we aren't we weren't going to worry about that we had other things that we were keyed into and coming down the stretch he bangs in two threes from the top of the key that he i haven't seen him make sense right and it's just one of those things and and when those things go against your game plan it really makes you question things and that's what coach painters always always says is you have to stick with your game plan because at the end of the day the percentages will win out but when a guy like that makes two threes on you, it's hard to believe. That. Right. I think we had one in Tennessee in the Bahamas too. Their center, right? First career three. Oh yeah, that's and right. first career three in right. overtime. And the clock, shot clock was running, winding down. I think we were up four at the time or five in overtime. And basically, if he misses that, and we get the rebound, we get the work clock and a chance to go up maybe three possessions. Mm-hmm. And he knocks it down and makes it a two point. Oh, game. I remember. I mean, it was just a dagger. What's and, his name? Chris Williams. So it was a dollar or something. I thought it was a dollar. Or, I don't anyway, know. anyway, having said it, had having said that though, I mean, when you look at the, some of those shots, the the data I'd like to know on this season was the amount the amount of times that the opponent had a player hit a shot with uh, less than two seconds left on the shot clock, more like a one with the darn thing going off when the ball's in the air. I bet you it must have happened ten times. <laughs> we did. Have, it felt like we had a lot. Didn't of those. it? Yeah. So um, we talk about then, Andrew, as we're getting ready to play a team and the, the data you provide. So then when we break down a game after we've played, mm-hmm. um, you know, before a game it's kind of leading up to uh, our opponents. And then it's also a little bit in terms of our team, like how we maybe go against the zone or things like that mm-hmm. um, or how we go against, you know, certain kinds of man-to-man. So there's a little pregame prep in terms of ex- self-examination. But a big thing you do is the post-game reports that you provide for the coaches once the game is over. Talk us through a little bit about that and kind of what you're, the things you're looking for. Um, so basically, when you when I start with a new program, I kind of figure out like what our weakness, weaknesses will be that year. Obviously, for us, starting it out was our rebounding. Um, so as the season went on, I would highlight that more and more just to kind of so we could have a mental track record of how we were doing. And actually, if you look at our national ranking, we ended up not too bad at all in that in that area. There were obviously bad games, but they're for the most part we were decent enough to get by. If that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So I would do that kind of stuff. Uh, our turnover rate, because I remember when I started with here last year, turnovers were kind of uh, your guys' Achilles heel offensively. So um, started off kind of turning that as well. Um, other things I would do. So if we would like the, the teams we played more than once throughout the year, like Michigan and whatever, I would track our sets that we would run or man-to-man sets or whatever it might be, and I kind of just have a, a running tally of that for Coach Gary um, just to kind of have um, when he would 
So when we're just doing different game plans for how we want to attack them offensively, he had that information. Um, yeah, that's one thing I wanted you to, to bring up is actual play calls. So we have a lot of different set plays that we run. You would track basically the success rate of those mm-hmm. plays. For, is that accurate? Right. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so yeah, I would uh, the way I have it set up is I could filter it by opponent, conference opponent, quality opponent, whatever it might be. So when we get enough of that information, you can kind of see how um, the different sets are, the sets are successful, not successful, that kind of thing. Especially when we have different guys in the game. Um, I did some stuff with how, especially when Isaac went down, um, what kind of sets we could run with Madden versus Matt or Isaac, and kind of see like how what packages are better with Madden. And that's, I think you mentioned, too, of, against certain opponents because oftentimes um, when you're playing a non-conference team that maybe is, you know, not as, uh, doesn't have as many good players or just a, has a, is a down team overall, uh, those can skew the stats, mm-hmm. you know, quite a, di- quite a, a big deal. So um, to get a more accurate description, do you, you, you probably have to filter some of those things out. And yeah. I would think sort that's why a lot of coaches would rather see your big 10 stats than your overall stats because those some of those outlying games aren't involved in there yeah absolutely so one i'm kind of looking at one of the reports that uh, that andrew sent us was following our game over in champagne at the end of the year the illinois game and sends through a bunch of numbers but he always highlights some of the kind of the uh the bullet points and the highlights of, of that particular game and um our offensive rating that game was 137, which, as you mentioned, our, the average is, what, 105? Mm-hmm. So as people remember, we played well over in Champaign. That's the game Carson had a monster game, went for 40 in that one. Um, our defense actually wasn't very good in that. And and uh, he's really good to <laughs> – he puts his little notes in here. So he says, defensive rating, 127, an awful number. We are currently 16th in the country, however. but So he'll qualify that with – this is good. This is great. And sometimes it's this is an awful. <laughs> this is an awful number. Keep but, it real. Well, yeah, and and I'll tell you. But for the for us who, especially this being the first year, when we first started looking at this, I had no clue what a good or bad number was. So to offer the context of, hey, this is where this ranks nationally and things like that, though that's needed because otherwise we'd be reading a different language here. Right, so, yeah. but then he gets down and breaks down just each individual player, amount of possessions each player used, what their rating was, that kind of thing. So, um, anyway, good stuff um, from Andrew and, and what he does. One of the thing, one of the other final questions I had, Andrew, before we get to the final four was what's the strangest, uh, what's the strangest or oddest request that somebody from the staff has asked you to look at this year? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I can't. Remember. Oh man, there's got to be one. There are a couple different things, like I said, that I haven't seen before. Um, dang. And has there been anything in the past that, like, something that somebody brought up? And maybe it's just something you read about, or mm-hmm. some kind of a stat that actually made a difference in an outcome, like you would have never thought of that could be possible. For for that for this year is actually was the passes that we were counting the passes um, and how more games the games that we had more pass i think 200 was our goal the more games we got that 200 goal the more offensive success we had i think there was an article written about that um the games in the bahamas tennessee and western kentucky were like our lower lowest pass totals of the year yeah and then arizona was like one of our highest so you can definitely see the the differences there offensively yeah that was amazing that that popped out over such a short sample size but mm-hmm. uh, correlated with we were much better when we moved the ball and passed now 
there the were cap- games where we didn't move the ball at all and we had success. Like Illinois, we didn't. I think that was one of our lowest lowest pass totals as well. But Carson right. had a and that nine, so. that's where kind of the I guess basketball enters into it. It's more than numbers because against Illinois, you're not going to be able to pass very well right. because they're a high pressure team. They take passing lanes away, so you have to make individual plays. And in that game, Carson obviously made a lot of individual plays. So, our, like Andrew said, our pass total was down, but yet our offensive efficiency was pretty good. But if you noticed, but if you noticed, um, I've become a big fan of this all of a sudden. I, I've never, I mean, in the past, I never really gave it a lot of thought. But this extra passing stuff, um, Villanova does it. But if you, and you know Michigan was really good defending at the end of the year, right? And they they took they knocked a lot of our stuff out in that Big Ten championship game. But again, it came down to just make one or two more passes, right? And, and you would see that with Villanova against them when they started cooking against Michigan, mm-hmm. and they get that extra one. And of course, you know, Devensendo took off the game, right? You know, when you're throwing up thirty footers and catching nothing but net, but. Nonetheless, you'd see that little extra pass, and they get they get a clean look almost every time, even though they were being guarded hard. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's I, I know you have a short shot clock, you know, but it's still if you just take one or two or three more passes, someone's going to be open if you if you're running your set right. Right, and that's that kind of that Golden State Warriors mentality that kind of started that whole you yeah know, thing. And I agree with passing. it. Absolutely. With it. And the, the one thing you need with that is you need somebody that can make a play to start it to get an advantage because then you play from behind as we call it like if you have just if it's us three and two guys off the street just passing around the perimeter we could pass it a thousand times we're yeah, still exactly. not getting by anybody yeah exactly. you know you need somebody to start off and get around a guy right. so to kind of test that too you'd be surprised when we didn't play well offensively and we were at like 193 passes when our goal was 200 so if we make seven more passes does that help our offense on the certain possessions or whatever so well, the other, the other, the other big thing about a game is you may only need one or two possessions right. for a win. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you don't, in the context of a game, playing a game, you never think about that. What could have been, and uh, but you, but that's amazing how all of us, regardless of your profession here, Elliot uh, runs a team, and we, you know, I just call the games, and you have your specific things Andrew but we all are when we're on that plane coming home after a loss every one of those possessions go off in your head no and you're, doubt. And, you're, and you're thinking right now if you know why didn't ah ooh yeah and no I doubt. and and that stuff stays with me till 4 a.m till 5 a.m so that's when I finally get to sleep and I get two hours of sleep and then the next, next day I'm horrible and Thank goodness I'm retired, but if I wasn't, <laughs> I'd have a hard time. Well, Matt, Matt always says on the games we win, he goes, you realize, guys, like, they did miss an open three that, you know, if yeah, they would have exactly, made, it's exactly. an overtime oh, game, yeah, and all of a sudden we might lose. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of plays like that that go both ways. And, you know, on a year like this, we, we made our fair share, and that's one of the reasons you're able to win 30 games. So, Well, Andrew, thanks, uh, thanks for the info. This has been uh, really good. I hope, uh, hope for the fans listening that have been clamoring for for this, um, that they uh, got a little glimpse of what uh, what your role is here with us. I know you and I have talked about some different data sorting projects here in the off season, the summer, that maybe not just basketball stuff, but just overall recruiting things, that kind of stuff. So uh, Mm -hmm. I know uh, there may be a chance to have you on down the road to discuss some of those as well. But uh, since it's your first time on, we do want to get to the final four, and these are our four questions that we ask every po- uh, podcast guest. 
Um, so the first question of the Final Four is, what is your go-to music of choice? Country music all the way. Really? Yeah. Modern country? Uh, I don't really like the mainstream stuff. I'm more of like the... Me and my friends actually go. I don't know if you heard of Eight Second Saloon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right there on Speedway. Oh yeah. That's our place. Yeah. Just uh, south of Speedway. Yeah. Not too far from there. Um, Okay. That's our go-to place. We like going and seeing the new up-and-comer guys. Kind of get on. It's like John Party. He started there a couple years ago, and he's huge now. So we kind of like to say that we were there when he was like (laughs) no one knew about him. So no. We kind of like to get the up-and-coming guys. The Eight Second Saloon. I know exactly where that's at. And there's a uh, now there's a really good tamale place right around there in there. Tamale shop. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually never been there. My friend actually goes there like once a week. Now, close. We gotta get down there at some point. Maybe we'll do a tape a show down there. The trouble with all your recommendations on Indianapolis restaurants are they're great recommendations, but you have to wait in line for an hour to get in there. <laughs> yeah, and well, I the don't tamale wait. shop's supposed to be the real deal. So if if anyone out there is listening, and well, knows, you told me recently on one here in town for uh, for flour tortillas, and it, yeah, and it, it was it, and you were right on. You were hit, spot on. Hit, hit the mark. Yeah. So if yeah. anybody <laughs> listening, boilerballpodcast at gmail Send us uh, your uh, tamale shop stories in Indianapolis, but. Uh, eight second saloon there. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's really cool. I, and I didn't realize they had. Um, I've never been in the eight second saloon, but I didn't realize they had as much live music as they, as they do. So oh yeah, it's almost every night. It seems like Wednesday through Saturday night. There's something going on. Now there. please tell me they have a mechanical bull in the back. They do. Okay. It's actually, in the front. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the first things you see when you walk in. Because when I walk, when I drive by that place. I always thought that is that place screams mechanical bull. Yes. Have, and now my next question for Larry: Have you ever ridden a mechanical bull? Haven't ridden one. I've seen them be ridden on, and I saw the originals down there in Houston, Texas, <laughs> in the 1980s. Actually, I went to um, uh, to Mickey Gilly's place in Houston, where uh, John uh, Travolta did that uh, movie. Uh, and uh, that's when that all started. And it was and I was at the Blue Bonnet Bowl. That was held in uh, Houston. Now were you at the at the Astrodome in uh, nineteen? What was it? Seventy eight, seventy nine. Played you Tennessee. Th- were you out there cutting a rug? Oh, I was. <laughs> no, but I was. I was right in the middle of the activity. I mean, I was. I had did good, you have a leisure suit? I, oh, probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm guessing a perm. Because my oh yeah, and my my idol Ed Taylor, uh, bless his heart, used to always tell me, say, you know, Cliz, you look great in a cheap. Leisures. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you for for those who haven't seen it, if you go out, you could probably Google this and find it. There's some great shots of Larry back in his TV 18 days uh, in the 80s, 80s 70s, yeah. 80s, or 80s, yeah. I guess. You know what I'm saying? Uh, with leisure suits. Uh, remember, the old TV 18, ja- remember, TV 18 was 10 years behind everybody else. Correct. So the 80s were our 70s. So yeah. So think <laughs> about Ron uh, Ron Burgundy, Ron Burgundy. Anchorman. <laughs> Uh, think about the jackets with the patches on the on the elbows, mm. and then think about a perm, Larry in a perm. Oh, this is on Google. Oh, you can find oh, it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, look at that. Look over there. Yeah, there right there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Back of my office, we have one. In the That's studio awesome. here, we have yeah, one hanging right. up yeah. of Larry back yeah. in the day with the perm. Oh, outstanding. We're we're in the middle of revamping the website as well, and you can bet that one of those photos will find its way up there. <laughs> Okay, second question here on the final four, Andrew. What is a uh, your favorite book, or maybe a good book you've recently read? Uh, it's going to sound really bad, but I actually just started reading Moneyball. I've never read the book. I've seen the okay. movie probably twenty times, but I'm about halfway through. So, and it's I mean, it's an outstanding book. It is, I, yeah. I read that. Uh, it was a good movie too when it came out. It's I've very, had a lot of. I I I just thought to myself, 
for years. Nah, this this doesn't appeal to me at all. And then my son actually said, "Man, you got to watch it. It's really good." It so is, I watched yeah. it. and It was good. Okay, your uh, third question on the final four, Andrew. What is a um, if you could wave a wand and do any profession, what would it be? This is it right here. So you're doing it. I'm doing it. Yeah. This is so there's job. no. Uh, so if you had a, a, if you somebody said that this it ceased to exist, this whole this, line of work. Okay. What would it be? Um. Mechanical engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like Plan D now. <laughs> oh, I feel. Hey, I'm I'm happy for you. Um, because I could tell you that there's a lot of truth to that, but six years, holy mackerel. Yeah, no, it wasn't the best, but got through it. Um, I don't, so I don't know how they make their money, but I think it'd be really fun to be a, a storm chaser. I don't oh, know. really? Goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Like last night, you were you. Oh, I you love that. Oh All yeah. Day yesterday, that's here's great. here's me. Here's me. Anytime those sirens go off. Really. <laughs> 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 Help me. <laughs> I watched I watched TV eighteen the whole time and I'm going like this. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I'm That's just why. mad I couldn't watch my Jeopardy last night because they had the, the weather on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Sirens are blowing. You're thinking, ah, eh. <laughs> let's go find it. I think we know a new video segment Kylan could do next year. We'll have a a, a tornado horn go off and videotape later <laughs> reaction. <laughs> oh, it's. <laughs> oh, I get scared. All right, final question here on the final four, Andrew. What is something that no one or very few people know about you? He mm. spent six years trying to get a degree, and he's not using <laughs> <That> it. Ah, <is. laughs> uh, see, that's tough. Come on, there's got to be something. I know. I'm, that's I'm, not I'm embarrassing. I'm a boring person, to be honest. Uh, dang. It could be really weird. I, I got a, a dent in my head. <laughs> well, <laughs> now, like, now, now we're talking. Now, now, now. <laughs> now. I don't know how I got there, but it's the top of my head. And, uh, and how'd that happen? I don't know. Oh, you were born with it? Yeah. You weren't on that mechanical bowl, were you? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, yeah. I, had a fr- I had a friend years ago that uh, had a... A house trailer fell on his head. How <laughs> <laughs> that happened? You were friends with the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> no, and what what happened? And he had a severe head injury, and it it uh, took out all his uh, sense of taste. Oh, really? Wait a minute, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he couldn't taste anything. Larry, you're the best cook, I swear. <laughs> no, no you, anytime you go to lunch with him, it didn't matter what he ordered. <laughs> how, are those, <laughs> how are those mashed potatoes? What? Doesn't, doesn't mean it was squash, potatoes, doesn't matter. I mean, he ate, I said, why do you, I mean. How's that mud pie? Oh, <laughs> delicious. No, it's actually mud pie. <laughs> delicious. Seriously, he could not taste anything. Oh, my goodness. Or smell anything. Oh, just from the house that fell on his head. Well, I don't know how. How the house fell on his head? Well, it, it was a trailer, and it was up towards the entrance. He, he explained it, and he was underneath trying to. He was underneath, like in a corner. But this thing came down. It hit him. It didn't like. Obviously, if it would have hit him square, would have killed him. But he, it just hit a portion of his head. Well, he, we, may, he, we may need to get him on the podcast. When we get to this question, he could say, you know, I once had a house fall on my head and I lost my sense of smelling and tasting. Yes. <laughs> hey, John, why don't, you come, hey, why don't you come over for dinner tonight? Sure, no problem. <laughs> I'm putting some slop together. <laughs> well, uh, Andrew, thanks a lot for uh, taking time here. 
um, to be on the podcast. We appreciate all your insight and all the work you do for our program. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. So before we wrap up here, I do want to give a shout-out um, to uh, a listener of ours, Julie um, from South Carolina was kind enough last year to send Larry and I a book. She um, heard all the times we talk about reading and um, our fascination with history, and she sent us a fantastic book last year, which I read, was on uh, FDR's secretary, who basically was the first chief of staff before such a position existed in the uh, office of the presidency, Um, and got a second um, package from her. Actually, today opened it up, and uh, she included another book, entitled Frank Selvey, and uh, just in quickly glancing at it, looked like a player that played at Furman University. So um, very excited to be uh, to be diving into that. She wrote us a, a wonderful note and appreciates uh, everything we do on the podcast. And Julia, I just want to say thank you very much. We appreciate you listening uh, and appreciate the uh, the gifts, uh, the books. Are, um, they, go, they get read and they get uh, absorbed here. We really appreciate uh, you taking time to do that. And I mentioned the email address earlier. Anybody who's got uh, any thoughts to pass along um, and share with us, uh, it's boilerballpodcast at gmail.com. We've heard from a lot of people. Um, and I got to say that in our travels um, to the Big Ten and NCAA tournament, uh, Larry and I um, quite often uh, will find each other and say, hey, I just had somebody come up to me in the lobby of the hotel and talk to me about the podcast. And, Elevator uh, on the last trip. And and hey. I was I was down in San Antonio at the Final Four our conventions down there and uh, uh, ran into a guy at the convention center and he said hey I got to tell you something he said uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast and I, I was blown away so um, just want to thank everybody for for tuning in and listening to and us. if you want to listen and tip you can do that as well <laughs> <laughs> no I was kidding but we uh, but we appreciate uh, appreciate the support and again. Uh, we plan to uh, continue these through the off season and uh, find try to find some different uh, aspects of the program that maybe are off the, the beaten path a little bit. And uh, according to uh, our um, our great uh, booking agent, um, Sylvia, Sylvia Booker, Sylvia Booker is out uh, lining up guests. She got Andrew uh, fitted in here on his busy schedule, which we very much appreciate. Appreciate. She's also indicated that we'll be venturing across campus a little bit this summer. Well, to- well, she has Andrew doing some analytics on us. When we do shows at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> our, our bump-up rate is not quite as high as when we do them at 10 in the morning. Yeah, and hopefully uh, when those numbers come out, maybe we'll see some <laughs> things that allow us to get a, you know. A- yeah, they'll probably tell us you're best to do this at 10 o'clock at night. Well, and and maybe we can convince Chris Foreman to post the podcast at a regular time every week <laughs> instead of bouncing us around all the time. I'm a big fan of Chris. I have nothing to say. <laughs> we love you, Chris. Of course, we're just joking. Okay, that'll wrap it up here. Episode 41 here on the Boilerball Podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.